0: New Life Church. Thanks for listening in. We exist as a church to connect people to the heart of God and to a family within the church. And we believe that Jesus is the way. We hope this message blesses you and gives you hope today. All right. Good morning. We've already had church. Some of y'all are like, "Dude, I'm I'm ready for lunch now." Um, I've got good news and bad news. I've got 21 pages of notes. So we're going to see how quickly I can get through this. Um, You know, Fitz said something uh, just now that that struck me. He said the the opposite of, or the enemy of great is good, right? Are things good? It's a real question. Are things good right now? I want to do a poll. How, How many of you know someone who uh, has died due to drug or alcoholism? How how, how many, you can put your hands down. How how many of you know uh, someone who's been incarcerated? How many of you guys know someone who has divorced or you have divorce in your family? Raise your hand. Um, I don't don't want you to raise your hand on this one. Statistics say that one in four women have been sexually abused in our country. I think it's probably low. Is it good? Is it good? I think this is a question that we have to grapple with as Christians. Um, And it gets really complicated and I'm gonna get into some issues this morning and if you don't like it, my email is (laughs) fitz.hill at Um, newlifechurch.tv. But what I'm going to try to do, my goal is not to be controversial. My goal is not to stir up issues. My goal is to try to look biblically for answers for the problems we face in our world and try to see what does God say about it. Because we can't be ideologically driven people. We have to be theologically driven people. What we believe about God has to inform our social issues. It has to inform our political issues. And what's happening culturally is we're getting shaped more ideologically than we are theologically. And it's creating enormous rifts in the church Um, and and things are not getting better. Uh, Here's the truth and this is, I just, I I wanna open my heart up to you guys. What, What I wrestle with all the time is this, and it's taken me, it only takes me about four days to write a message, about four days to whittle down to about 2,500 words. It's taken me three weeks. <laughs> I've got 4,100 words. <laughs> and I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try to liquidate it down. But what, what I've been wrestling with is this. Um, w- when you look at a society, there has to be a, an agreed upon moral code, right? And what's difficult for pastors, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, Ask for sympathy for a second. What's difficult for us is we have to teach God's word, but we we have to somehow keep it out of politics, right? But it's really difficult now because these things are so interwoven. And so what I wanna submit to you this morning is not political stances, anything like that. I wanna try to look at what does God's word say about how we're supposed to live in the world and try to figure out what our collective moral vision is, okay, collective moral vision. Uh, We have to have one someone will determine your moral vision. And if you're not intentional about what you believe and what your moral vision is, someone else will dictate it to you. And so what I want to submit to you this morning is not I have all the answers. I just want to try to look biblically and see what God has to say to us. And again, if you don't like it, I just ask that you stay, you hear me out, and you email fits uh, at the end of the service. Amen. Uh, okay, so... My thesis this morning, I always try to give you guys a working thesis, uh, is is this. God has called us to build a life. This is based out of Jeremiah 29. God has called us to build a life, to plant deep roots, to grow our families, and bring prosperity and peace to the cities we call home. Okay, we're going to be in in Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. Uh, I've got... Um, Finley over here who's going to read God's word for us and so I'm just going to ask you to meditate on it uh, soak this in and then we're going to try to dig through it together.
1: This is what the Lord of heaven's armies the God of Israel says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem build homes and plan to stay plant gardens and eat the food they produce marry and have children Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of this city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land.
0: This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it's written from your heart to us. God, we thank you that you give us the secrets to thriving as human beings. God, you give us the secrets to societal order and your plan, and God, our ultimate heart cry is, God, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So, God, speak to us this morning. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Uh, Well, I, I wonder if any of you have asked the question in the past couple of years, what is happening, (laughs) right? Like, what is going on? It's like, socially, we have total upheaval in our world. Uh, Politically, things are crazy, right? Uh, Nationally, internationally, there's conflict, right? There's wars in Russia. There's disease. There's the COVID-19 pandemic. There's all this kind of stuff that we've had to navigate, and it's been chaos, right? Right? I know something about chaos. I don't know if you noticed, we had two babies up here. Uh, we have twins. We have three and three. I've got a photo. This is what sermon prep looks like now. Uh, <laughs> that's not a cigar in my hand. That's the other side, although I don't necessarily have an issue with that. Um, Fitz is there with me, and we were talking through this and just talking through where we found ourselves today. Um, we have a total social revolution, specifically here in cities, right? Our culture has moved to a post-Christian world. If you're interested, any podcasters, where are my serial podcasters at? Okay, uh, there is a podcast I want to recommend. I, I am not the world's greatest social critic. Okay, that is not my gift, but I know guys who do have that gift, and there's a guy named John Mark Comer, a guy named Mark Sayers, and they have a podcast called This Cultural Moment. I want to highly recommend it to you if you're trying to sort through the things that are going on. But basically, um, Mark Sayers makes this point. He says that we're in a post-Christian world, and in a post-Christian world, people no longer find their identity and their origi- religious affiliation, but their political affiliation, Right? How do we know this? People no longer fight anymore. Like, I'm Presbyterian and I'm Lutheran. You'll never hear that, right? It's I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat. This is where I find myself. This is where I find myself in this social issue. And what we're doing is we're starting to root identity in political and social issues instead of rooting identity in who God says we are and who God says we're supposed to be. And the issue is, is this creates nothing but division in a country, okay? So this is where we found ourselves. We have total social upheaval. Our culture has redefined morality, right? not based on biblical principles principles but again based on social ideological principles it's redefined marriage it's redefined things that 20 years ago were concrete and i say this y'all, with all the compassion i do not have time to unpack this i know these are complicated issues things like gender that once were seen as concrete are now seen as confusing things like sexuality y'all, i don't say this judgmentally i say this with compassion. It's difficult. I wonder if any Christians in here have found difficulty in these places. Politics are our new religion. Internationally, there's the war in Ukraine. There's all this craziness. We're all waiting to see what China's gonna do, right? Praying, God have mercy. The book of Jeremiah was written into a very similar social, political, and international context. Basically, what was going on is in the nation of Israel, they had fallen into total immorality, okay? There are three uh, primary covenants early in the Old Testament, okay? We're going to do some history here, all right? So we have the covenant of Noah. That's that God swore he would never again destroy the earth with a flood, right? You all familiar with that story and the rainbows and these things? Okay, and then we have... The covenant of Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, that's that God would bless Abraham and that through his descendants, he would bless the entire earth, right? Are you familiar with that? That's where we get the idea or or the notion Jesus came to bless everybody, right? And then we've got the covenant of Moses, okay? This is the Ten Commandments, all right? This was a moral covenant that God made with the people of Israel. And basically what God said is, if you will keep my laws, I will build you into a great physical nation. Okay, so for these people that this letter was written to, their entire hope was built in the belief that they would become a strong nation. All right, that they would be a nation state with God as their king. Okay, and so what's happening is they've totally fallen into immorality. I'm going to talk about that more here in a second. They'd given themselves over to other gods, and they were at that point oppressed by a nation called the Syrians. Okay, now internationally, the Syrians were starting to lose international power. The Syrians were the Uh, world power of the the day. Okay, and so what was happening is there was a new nation called Babylon. Everyone say Babylon. Now, Jeremiah wrote to the Israelites, they're actually living in southern Judah at the time, and says that God is raising up a secular nation that will come in and destroy you If you do not repent of your sin, it's interesting, the word picture that is used in Jeremiah, I believe it's in Jeremiah 25, God says that I'm storing up a cup of wine, all right? And I'm going to be found in that cup of wine. And some of you guys are like, I want that, God. I want the cup of wine, God, you know, mega pint. Anybody? Anybody? Okay. (laughs) I brought the Johnny Depp Ember Heard trial into this. (laughs) I was hoping I could figure it out. Okay. Okay. a megapint. Hmm. Uh, this cup of wine is actually the cup of God's wrath, is the way the, the prophet Jeremiah talks about it. And he says, you will drink from this cup if you do not turn from your godless ways. And so what we find here in this book is a group of people who are supposed to be God's people, all right, they're attending temple, they're going into temple, and they're acting like everything is fine. And then when they leave temple they're worshiping idols, they're living in total sexual promiscuity, and it had gotten so bad that they had started to adopt the practice of child sacrifice. We could never imagine going to church, acting like everything's fine, and then going out and living as if God doesn't exist. Could we? Christians would never do that. Living in total sexual promiscuity with no reference to the way that God designed us. Setting up idols. Yo, We are the most idolatrous nation that has ever lived. I'm convinced. We don't worship at shrines, right? We worship ourselves and anything that we want, wealth. We try to find our security in it. How do you know where you find security? What's the one thing that if you lost it, you would lose your sense of self? Is it God or is it in finances? Is it in good looks, things like that? They were killing innocent children. Y'all, there's a sobering statistic I read in the Wall Street Journal. This is from 2018, this isn't even from today. In New York City, in a certain ethnic minority group, there were more children aborted than born. This is sobering. Yo, we are a godless nation. And where we find ourselves is we find ourselves as exiles who have the values and the principles of another land, of a different kingdom, who are living in a space that we're trying to figure out, how do we call this home? How do we have children? How do we thrive and flourish and seek the good of these people? See, what had happened is, and Christians have have made this mistake as well. What happened is what Jeremiah is speaking to, what Jeremiah is writing to is they'd been exiled, and what they would do, is this was a common practice in ancient times. When you had a stubborn people, and the Israelites are nothing if not stubborn. <laughs> okay, they are a hard people to put down. They kind of remind me of Southern Americans, right? Like, we're, we're going to be a hard people to put down if somebody tries to come after us. Um, Basically what they did is they took the professional classes, they took the prophets, they took the teachers, they took the lawyers, they took the top of society, and they exiled them into the secular city. And the reason they did this is they knew, now listen if this sounds familiar, they knew if they could indoctrinate the influencers of a community, the educators of a community, that they could win the hearts of the community, and after two generations, those people would no longer identify with their culture of origin, but they would identify with the secular culture they found themselves in. Does this sound familiar? And so what the Israelites were doing is they were living separately outside of the city, and this is almost comical. They're like, we don't wanna become like the godless Babylonians, right? We don't want to be indoctrinated by them, but we just went through all the different things that they were doing. They were totally deceived. And there were even people among them who said, y'all, this isn't from God. God's going to restore us back to our glory. Y'all, listen, God will never restore glory without repentance. God will not bless something that does not fall in line with his design. And so if we want to bring blessing to the world we live in, which y'all, I do. Y'all, I want Little Rock to say if New Life Church shut down, we would be in trouble. I want our city to be better because we're here, but it starts with us. If you want to make change, it starts with you. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do a little bit of heart surgery. We're going to look in and we're going to look at kind of where we're at, where we find ourselves, what God's called us to do, and what our response to all these things can be, okay? So let's, let's jump in. Point number one uh, is... God has called us to build a life and plant deep roots. God's called us to build a life and plant deep roots. Jeremiah 29, five and six. Build homes, plan to stay. Now again, think about that. Build homes, plan to stay. Plan to stay in this nation. Plant gardens and eat the fruit that they produce. Marry and have children. We're gonna really high center on this one here. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply and do not dwindle away. You'll what I've found is in times of stress, in times of difficulty, in times of fear and anxiety, we can forget who we are and what we're called to do. What God is doing in this moment is he's reminding them of national identity, vocation, and calling. He's saying, if you are to be my people, you are to be fruitful and did you know that's the first command in the Bible from the mouth of God? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You know, this is where we get our ethics around sexuality and marriage. It's right here. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. You know, I, I wonder if you've heard this uh, in, in recent years. Um, I could never imagine bringing a child into this world. Has anybody heard? That? Has anybody said that? You don't have to raise your hand. One of you did. <laughs> Yo, know, it, it it is natural. In times of war and strife. Actually, if you look at birth rates, they, they statistically drop in times of economic stress, in times of social upheaval, in times of war. But what we have to remember is our primary call from God, and there's a reason for this, I'm gonna get into it. Our primary call from God as family units is to be fruitful and multiply. Why? Because if we want to bless the world we live in, we need to raise disciples and kids who love Jesus and kids who love God, who then can go out and bring those things into the world we live in. Y'all, if we do not do that, we will not grow the culture of the kingdom of heaven. This is an absolute call from God. And y'all, it is scary right now. Every time I sit in a small group with parents, one of the number one questions that I get asked is... How do I combat the ideologies that my kids are being taught in school? Should we section off? Now, I'm not criticizing Christian school. We've prayed about that. If in Jesus' name we can afford it, right? Do do we create our own separate Christian communities, right? This is what was happening. The best way to combat ideology is good theology. The best way to combat Bad ideology, the things that your kids are being taught, is to teach them good theology with compassion. Y'all, we live, it's simple. It really is simple. We make everything complicated. When a child comes home and says, Hey, my friend is now identifying this, it's say, We live in a fallen, broken world. Y'all, we cannot be surprised when we encounter sin in a broken world, right? That's our, our theological structure is based on. The world was so lost and broken that God himself had to come and die and receive the wrath. We're going to talk about that in a little bit so that we could find life. And God has sent us as ambassadors and missionaries. Y'all listen, we cannot get stuck mourning. This is what God's saying through Jeremiah. He's saying, Israelites, you can't get stuck mourning what used to be. You have to be missionaries and carriers of hope what could be. You have to build your hope on who God is, and y'all, that absolutely means we have to raise and engage with our children. Men, look at me. You are your child's first pastor. Christian men, your first call is not to your business, it's to your family. And y'all, the demise, if we, if we want to look at things that are going on societally, Fitz gave the stat, right? 300,000 men were imprisoned in 1981. 1983. Today, there's 2.5 men. What's changed? The family unit has broken apart. And, you know, there are these ideologies out there that are trying to say a family unit is a bad thing. It is a historic, ancient idea. This is not a new idea. They're trying to say, well, tribalism is a better way to do it. It's not. This is an ancient text. This is so old. And we're trying to insert these new ideologies as if they're the answer. And what I want to say is the statistics would say it's not the answer. We need a better way. And the Bible has outlined a better way for us. And so, how can we do that? I was talking to um, a buddy of mine. He's a young guy, he's really successful. Uh, he oversees a, a, a large company, he's the president of a large company that's all, all throughout the U.S. And, uh, I was talking to him and I said, what do you want out of your church? I think that's a good question for you guys to ask. I think you should have expectations when you come in, if I'm honest. What do you want from your church? And he said, I want to know that I can do it. I want to be encouraged. And he said, if I'm honest, you know what the second thing I really need is? He said, I've got a plan and vision for my business. I know where I want it to be in 20 years. He said, I've got a plan and vision for my finances. I know where I want them to be in 20 years. He said, I don't have a plan for raising my kids. He says, I, I know that I'm like supposed to let them become their own person, but I don't have a clue how to do that. And I was like, okay, let's lock in together. We can, yo, we can have a plan. Man, look at me. If you don't have a plan for your family, the world absolutely does. We have got to disciple our kids. We've got to disciple our young men. We've got to disciple our young women and teach them what it means to be human. Because if we don't, they will learn it somewhere else. There's a book uh, that we bought. We actually reached out to the publisher and got 40% off of it. It's called The Intentional Father. Now, this is specifically for raising sons. The author's working on one for girls uh, as we speak. But it's a practical guide for raising sons of courage and character. And I love it. Yo, we've purchased this book. It's $10. And let me give you a challenge. Men, if if you have kids, you don't have kids, or even Fitz read it, loved it. There's a line in there. I'll give you a little preview of the remix. It says... If you don't train the young men, they will burn down the village. Young men are fighting for identity. They need someone to tell them who they are or they're gonna fight for this place in this world. Let's be men who bless our young men and say, we bless you as men. Take your place in the community. We're gonna walk alongside you. The men of our community are gonna train you. We're gonna do the same thing for the women of our community, amen? Because if we don't do this, someone else will tell them how to be men and women, amen? And those people who do it, and I say this, guys, not with anger. I'm going to talk about that in a second, how God's been dealing with my heart, but with compassion. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, rescue me from the person who tells me of, of life but omits Christ, who's wise in the ways of the world but ignores the movements of the Spirit. The lies they tell are impeccably factual. They contain no errors, yet they are distortions and, or, or, or false, falsified data. Look at this but they're lies all the same, because they claim to tell us, look at this, if you don't see this, they claim to tell us who we are and omit everything about our origin in God and our destiny in God. Yo, There is no moral societal structure without an understanding of the Imago Dei. There's no societal moral structure without understanding that Men and women were made in the image of God. If you go back, I don't have time to get into all of this, but if you go back into the first century in Rome, they had no idea of the sanctity of human life. Did you know that's a Christian idea? If you didn't want a child in Rome, you were legally allowed, as Greeks, they were legally allowed to put a child out to exposure and let the elements take and destroy the child. This was accepted, common practice, and this is where orphanages came from. Christians said that child has value. That child has value because they're God's son, they're God's daughter. They created orphanages. They created hospitals. And this is where it gets so, can I, my, my pastor's here, and so he's here to make sure I don't say anything too crazy. But this is the rub, okay? It's like we don't want to get too political, but you know where hospitals came from? Christians said poor people, should be taken care of and have a right to medicine. And so they started building hospitals. You know when the fastest move of hospital spread happened? 390 AD, when a Christian, again we could debate this with Constantine, there's all kind of stuff. But when Christians took the seat of power, hospitals spread like wildfire because Christians were allowed to do it. They had the support of the state. And so this is the complication, right? This is the complication that we run into. Where do we find ourselves? We can't solve all those issues. We have to focus on where we're at and what we're doing because if we don't, we're going to get so discouraged we do nothing at all. But y'all, God has called us to be a people of hope. For I know the plans I have, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans for hope in a future. Y'all, we are carriers of hope. We are missionaries of light. And God has called us intentionally. Y'all, listen, not one of you is walking in the spheres you're in. Without the sovereign hand of God touching you and being on you. God knew exactly where you would be. He's equipped you to do what you've been called to do. But listen, you will not accomplish what God has called you to do if you don't lock arms with other believers. Listen, <laughs> this is gonna be so mean. Some of you guys are terrible parents. <laughs> you're terrible. <laughs> and you know it. You're like, I'm you're right, I'm terrible. I'm absolutely failing as a father and a mother. You don't have to. I remember a couple years back, I was a pastor up at our Maumel campus, our North Little Rock campus, Greater Little Rock, whatever we call it. Um, and I got up on stage on Father's Day. And oh, Pastor Rick, he got on me about this one. <laughs> I got up on Father's Day and I said, You know, I'm currently afraid to have kids. And, you know, I just, I really respect you guys who have kids. And I got down off stage and he goes, What are you doing? He goes, you're scared to have kids. He goes, bro, you don't have to be scared. We'll help you. He said, we will walk with you. There are dads all over this place who are going to help you. Yo, I had trauma. I had stuff that went on in my past that I had to deal with. But I've got other men. Come on. Somebody's testifying over here. I, I've got other men now that I lock arms with that I call. I called my best friend two weeks ago. I said, "Georgia takes 10 minutes to get from the door to the car. I can't handle it. I'm going to lose my mind. Dad is going to be late, <laughs> you know, like. I had a friend talk me off the ledge, you know? <laughs> we don't have to do it alone. Let's do it together. We're better together. God has called us in a community for a mission, for a purpose. Amen? Intentional Fatherhood talked about that. Okay. Uh, number two 27 minutes in, point two. Okay. Uh, God's called us to pray for our cities. Jeremiah twenty nine seven and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. We're to work. Everybody say work. work. And pray. Everybody say pray. pray. For the peace. Does anybody know the, the Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. That is a that 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 is a a dense word. We're going to talk about this. But let's let's look at let's look at the Israelites' tender hearts towards their oppressors. (laughs) Psalm 137, 8 through 9. This is written at the time of the Babylonian exile. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. This is in the Bible. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you've done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks just as you did to ours. They just have open hearts. You know, God, I just pray that you'll To soften the hearts of the Babylonians. That is not their posture. They are angry. I wonder if anyone in here has felt angry in the past couple years. It's taken me three weeks to write this message. And it's not because it's that complicated of a message. It's because I've had anger in my heart that God's had to have me deal with. I'm just being transparent. I'm confessing to you guys. And I didn't even realize I was angry. I've been angry at the ideologies I've been angry at the things that are being taught. I've been angry at people who have different worldviews than I do, people who have different views of the church than I do. And you know, it is hard to pray for people you're angry with. If I could read, I, I, I titled this message Thriving in a Secular World, but if I could subtitle it, it's God Have Mercy. What I realized is. I had that judgmental street preacher heart. God have mercy, you're going to hell. You know, like, it's really, I hate you, I'm angry with you. But y'all, this week, I, I was so frustrated. I went and I did a workout and I worked myself into oblivion and exhaustion. And then I just sat there and God started to break my heart for the condition of my own heart. God sort of convicted me, like you were angry with the wrong people. The, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter six that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it, it's against the evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, and against the mighty powers of this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Y'all, we're talking about a lot of social issues. We oppose racism. Racism is bad, right? We would all agree with that, I hope. Look at what the Bible says. 1 John 3.15. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. (laughs) It's the Bible. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And so we're going to talk about seeking the peace and shalom in a second, but we can't do that until we dissect this. Our role as Christians is to not hate racists, although sometimes that's what our hearts are tempted to do. Our role as Christians is to hate racism and to cry out, God have mercy, on someone who is oppressed by the spirit of racism that is sowing death into their lives and into the lives of other people. We saw it this past month, right? There, there, There were massacres up north, up in Buffalo. This is a heart of God have mercy. I want you all to see this video.
1: Victims trust rest has begun. CNN's Brian Todd is in Buffalo where the community is remembering the lives of those lost to hate.
0: An outpouring of support at the first funeral in Buffalo in the wake of Saturday's racist supermarket shooting. One of the ten victims, Hayward Patterson, a church deacon and jitney driver, was honored by friends, parishioners, and the community. When Patterson got shot, He was actually loading groceries into the back of a vehicle, helping somebody else. Another friend says the community is angry, but can you forgive this, Donna? I have to. Some people would argue you don't have
1: to. Mm, Yeah, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. You have to. It's mandatory for us.
0: Some people are saying you don't have to she understands something. In the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's about to be betrayed, and he's praying to God, and if you remember his prayer, he says, God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He's talking about the cup of God's wrath This is an allusion back to Jeremiah. You remember, God had a cup of wrath stored up for Israel that they would have to drink from. Jesus came to drink God's wrath so we could drink from the rivers of God's mercy. And one of the best signposts of the mercy of God is people who are wronged and hurt who forgive. This is what God has called us to do, and when we do that, y'all, when we are humble people of repentance and humble people of prayer, God's kingdom breaks out. God starts to transform hearts. And and that is our goal. That is what we want to see God do. Amen? We must repent. Point number three. And trust God to keep his promises. We must repent and trust God to keep his promises. Here's what I, I want to ask as we close. Before we start working on what's going on out there, we have to work on what's going on in here. We have to work on the internal before we can make a change in the external. And some of us, y'all, we're so full of fear. We're deficient. When you're nutrient deficient, you get fatigued, right? When you're faith deficient, you get consumed by fear. And y'all, this is a moment, if that's where you're at, you can turn that. And you'll remember, we've got to trust in the sovereign hand of God. Amen? Maybe you're in here and you're like me, you're angry. It's justified anger at wickedness and things that's going on in the world. It's time to repent and say, God, change my heart from a heart of anger towards people to a heart of anger towards the devil. Right? We believe that God is the author of life, right? He breathes. He brings life. He speaks life. We're called to do the same thing. The enemy is the author of death. God have mercy. God have mercy on people who've been oppressed or deceived. The number one way the devil deceives us is through our desires, right? I don't have time. This is a sermon for another day. But our world says, follow your heart. The heart wants what it wants. You know where that comes from? The phrase, the heart wants what it wants. Anybody ever said that? It comes from a child molester in the 1990s who was interviewed and they said, why have you been sleeping with your wife's 15-year-old daughter? And he said, I don't know, the heart wants what it wants. But our culture, our wicked culture has adopted that as a good ideology. The Bible says it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Not freedom to satisfy the sinful desires, the freedom to reign over sinful desires that is true freedom, is to become who God has called us to be. And so, yo, I think it starts with me. It starts with us repenting. Yo, every one of us, listen, there's not one of us in here who aren't actively battling sin. Y'all, before we judge the world out there, let's start with what's going on in here. Amen. And so here in a moment, the worship team, y'all can start coming forward. We're going to go into a time of response like we do every weekend. And and there's four ways you can respond. And I want to encourage you to do this thoughtfully and prayerfully, but then actively, okay? We don't don't just have things happen in here and then move here, but it doesn't move here, right? We want to do thoughtfully, prayerfully, and then actively, okay? And so at at the cross walls, you'll see there's little cards. There's cards on your seat. It says things I'm praying for, things I'm thankful for. Y'all, if you've got some things you need to leave at the cross, if you've got some things you need to repent of, you all repent is a good word. I forgot about this quote. Rick Warren said it like this. Repent is actually the most positive, transforming word in the world. No wonder the devil's tried to turn it. The word repent just means you change your mind. It's not when you stop doing bad things. That's the result of repentance. Repentance means you used to think one way and now you think another way. What's a way of thinking you wanna leave at the cross? What's something that you wanna turn away from? Over in the corners, you'll see candles lit. They're not magic candles, all right? It's representative. We go over and pray for people that you know who don't know Jesus. Our prayer is that the light of God would burst into their life. The darkness can never extinguish light. The darker the dark, the brighter the light. Amen. I've got a couple family members I pray for and three little heathen children I pray for every weekend. (laughs) Either side of the sound booth at the doors, there's communion cups, y'all. Communion is a rededication, right? It's like a renewal of a marriage vow. It's a time when you say, God, I have missed the mark but your body was broken for me, your blood was poured out for me, and it was a promise that you would never leave me or forsake me. We take that cup and we drink. And then back in the corner, we have some pastors and leaders, elders. Uh, Y'all, if you're going through something, you need prayer. Go back and ask for prayer, y'all. You may be stressed about a test this week. You may be feeling fearful about things that are going on in the culture. You may be really battling some things. Y'all, listen, we can't be a people who are ashamed of prayer, we're Christians. We're so weak, we couldn't save ourselves. Jesus had to come. We can get prayer. It's okay. Let's normalize prayer, amen? And then let's close with this heart. God, have mercy. God, heal our land. God, come pour out your love. Come pour out your grace first on us and let it continue out onto others, amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. God, I pray that. You would help us be your people. And God, we thank you that you promise that you'll be our God. God, we turn from our wickedness. God, we turn back towards you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Hey, church, thanks for listening in. Uh, if you're looking for what your next step is, please visit our Instagram, NLC Downtown Little Rock, on Instagram. Click the link in our bio and you can find any way you want to connect. There's Bible studies, there's cards on there that you can click if you want to get prayer, if you want to get baptized, or all different ways that you can serve and connect. And so we love you, church. Please do us a favor, like and subscribe wherever you're at. It helps uh, push the podcast forward. We love you.